We don't know what's going to happen, but we have, we're going to watch that Nooksack like a hawk. As soldiers continue sandbagging, the warnings on the risk of further Fraser Valley flooding. Plus, we should not be locked out of our, our city. We should be bound, like coming together and getting this stuff down. The frustration and sorrow as more Merritt residents return home to find destruction and. It is a direct reflection of experiences that I am too familiar with. We meet the interim federal green leader with a deeply personal and tragic connection to natural disaster in BC. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin in Abbotsford where efforts are continuing tonight to prepare for the latest storm that's expected to move through the region. Our Kamal Kermali is in Huntington Village, not far from the Canada-U.S. border. Kamal, work is continuing at this hour to protect homes and property and we can see that in action behind you there. Absolutely. The race is on tonight, Neethu, to fill as many sandbags as possible. Volunteers are here. Civilians are here bringing their own shovels. And you can see behind me here, people have taken into action feverishly filling sandbags as quickly as possible. There's soldiers and civilians here. And you also have a professional sandbag machine that is trying to... Uh, fill as many sandbags through uh, through more mechanical means. And look at this. You have soldiers and civilians tying those bags up, trying to move them as quickly as possible. And if you follow me here quickly, uh, you can just see where they have to go. They have a quite a long trek, and uh, they've been doing this all day. With the odds stacked against them and the pressure piling up, soldiers moved with military precision and speed to build a barrier. Our mission is to build a wall along this uh, train track on the south side, uh, roughly two feet high. Protecting the Huntington neighborhood in Abbotsford, the Nooksack River south of them in Washington state continuing to swell. There's a flood of concern here, the village under an evacuation alert. I'm a little bit scared about all the rain coming. But I see they're doing a lot of work down here at the railroad track, so hopefully they can stop the water coming from the south here. But just in case that doesn't happen, people are being asked to brace for the worst. Residents still need to be prepared to leave immediately as we may only receive limited notice due to changing conditions. There is some good news, though. Flood water levels in parts of the Sumas Prairie have dropped nearly 24 centimeters in the past 24 hours. But the situation is fragile. Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun met with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau Friday, highlighting the urgency in getting more support for critical pieces of infrastructure. If we are not supported and the Barrowtown pump station fails, we expect there will be eight feet or more of water over Trans-Canada Highway 1 for months. Something these farmers can't afford. This is my livelihood. Richard Bosma's farm is underwater. He barely got all his cattle out, but now the entire herd is safe, thanks to a neighboring farmer opening up his barn doors. It's been incredible. We're not used to being on the receiving end of things. We kind of like look out for each other, especially in a time like this. Bosma hopes he can return to his farm in the Sumas Prairie in a couple of weeks, with supplies and patients running low and water levels flowing high all eyes are on the weather forecast in the next couple of days. 
and that forecast doesn't look too great in the future, which is why people are continuing to carry those sandbags, trying to create a barrier. Now, the dike near Atkinson Road is about 95% repaired, so good news there, and the job to raise the height of the dike by half a meter, well, that is about one-third done, and the mayor of Abbotsford is also warning today that to not listen to social media rumors, a lot of misinformation spreading on social media, and just to check the city's website for updates instead. Neetu, back over to you. All right, incredible effort there by soldiers and civilians behind you. That's our Kamil Kermali in Huntington Village tonight. And the flood risks not limited to the Fraser Valley. An evacuation alert has now been issued for people living in the Pemberton Meadows area along the Sea to Sky Highway. The squamish Lillooet Regional District says due to heavy rainfall, there is a risk of flooding along the Arne Canal just north of Mount Curry. People living on close to 20 low-lying properties have been warned that they could be ordered to leave at a moment's notice. There is a flood watch in place all along the Sea to Sky region and lower Fraser regions. And an evacuation alert has been issued by the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. It affects 49 properties in the cold water and lower Nicola watersheds along the Nicola River. And if you were looking to drive between Metro Vancouver and the BC interior this weekend, you are out of luck. Due to risks associated with this weekend's rainstorm, four routes are being closed today. They are the Hope Princeton and Highway 99 between Pemberton and Lillooet. Highway 1 between Hope and Spence's Bridge is also closed. And the Trans-Canada between Hope and Popcom is being shut down due to a BC Hydro reservoir release that could impact an already damaged roadway. The Transportation Ministry says the duration of the closures will depend on the weather. Highway 7 between Mission and Hope remains open, but with restrictions. Welcome relief today for thousands of Merritt residents who've been allowed back to assess the damage. Some could only stay for the day and others allowed to remain overnight, though still on evacuation alert. But as Jules Knox reports, hundreds of people remain out of their homes in the hardest hit area and anger is growing. Does this look unsafe? While many Merritt residents are now allowed back home after devastating flooding, others are not. People in the hardest hit area, now known as phase four, still to stay away. This is days now, days it's been like this, so why have we not been able to access this? And Lynette Gillingwater doesn't understand why. I'm angry for every single resident here because this did not have to be this way, it did not. Muddy homes now turning musty and moldy, too. She believes allowing residents back sooner could have prevented some of the damage. Because even the ones that are okay up top are not okay downstairs because now there's spores in your house. While other communities like Princeton are well into the drying out and cleaning up process, many Merritt residents are criticizing city officials for being slow to allow people back home, even if it's just for the day. We should not be locked out of our, our city. The Emergency Operations Centre says people in the hardest hit area still aren't allowed back because of issues with water and wastewater, as well as emergency services. Part of what's stopping us is the fact that some of these roads are impassable. The fire trucks don't have access to water. The ambulance doesn't have access. We're doing this not because we want to keep people out. We are doing this because we want to make sure that we keep people safe. While many fled the floods, others ignored the evacuation order. Now living for nearly two weeks without water or sewer. We were not flooded out, so I, we don't want to burden the ESS, you know, the emergency services, even more. Gillingwater, also in an area where entry is technically forbidden. She's scrambling to save what she can.
And I try and muck out basements and I try and get people's things and I try and get as much done as I can do in a day. And then I go home and I clean all my mom's stuff. I sit there and try and lay out papers and photo albums and try to salvage my childhood, her life, my daughter's life. As for when her neighbors will be allowed back to start their salvaging, the Emergency Operations Centre says there's no firm date. Jules Knox, Global News, Merritt. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now. So Yvonne, what's the latest on the storm watch today? Uh, we are tracking the numbers. So we've got rainfall that's picked up this afternoon, but it is going to intensify this season, evening. And as of 4 p.m., we've seen anywhere between 20 and potentially up to 30 millimeters, but this will be counting with many areas seeing the potential of upwards of 100 millimeters of rain. There is that wave of moisture. It's heavy at times, especially for a few spots across the island, but some of the heaviest rainfall is still set to arrive or intensify, especially overnight and into the morning hours on Sunday. Be prepared. The amounts that we're tracking, 70 potential up to 120 millimeters areas towards the southern regions of Metro Vancouver with up to 50 millimeters and the western edge of the island we could see anywhere between 100 to 140 millimeters. There it is. So we are going to continue to see some of the heaviest rainfall. This will take us in towards the afternoon before it does taper off. Now the flood watch has been extended for the central and southern half of the island. We're also seeing a high stream flow advisory for many areas. We will have more on that and what we can anticipate and the mountain passes we're seeing snow changing over over to rain with the risk of freezing rain coming up shortly. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. The flood situation in B.C. has brought out some of the best in people. We've seen countless examples of neighbours helping neighbours and even complete strangers doing what they can to assist those in need. Julia Foy caught up with some of those on the flood lines. They come from across the lower mainland. I work for the city of Langley. I've been doing sandbags all week, so... I figured I'd help the city I live in. To dig in the sand. And how are you feeling? Mm, back sore, but other than that, feeling good. And hoist sandbags into trucks. <laughs> destined to save homes or property. Bagging almost over 200,000 plus bags. And we keep, we, we keep going. Okay, good. Of neighbours, or friends, or strangers. You see it on the news all the time in other countries and stuff, but you know. Never expected it to be so close to home, and then when it happens, it's great that the community comes and steps up and works together to, you know, help each other, right? Because there, there's a lot of people that are going to need it. It's happening because two women set up a Facebook page called VF Flood Help. It's been a very exhaustive past week and a half, but my main priority is obviously to keep people safe, um, get animals the help that they need, and then do preventive preventative measures as best as, as best as we can. We have people in Abbotsford, Agassiz, Chilliwack... Hiller created one centralized document for those needing emergency help and those who have helped to offer. In one week, the site grew to over 8,000 members. But the war against the weather isn't over yet. We're, we're all holding our breath and hoping that uh, the rains shift and uh, somehow avoid us. The Fraser Valley flood volunteers vow to keep up their tireless work. If I could spend 24 hours a day helping people, that's the idea. We all live here. I'm proud of my community. Julia Foy, Global News. BC's Transportation Minister says Highway 8 was largely destroyed during the flooding earlier this month and will require a long-term rebuild. Aerial footage of the 69-kilometre road, also known as the Nicola Highway, shows the devastation. In many places, the highway connecting Merritt and Spence's Bridge is completely gone, washed away by a surging Nicola River. 
BC Hydro says it lost 75 power poles and 14 transformers. Prior to the floods, Highway 8 was sometimes used as a detour when the Coquihalla was closed. Last summer, it was one of the routes Lytton residents used to escape the wildfire that destroyed their village. Uh, significant damage occurred at 20 different locations, including four bridges, some of which were completely washed away. Uh, the Nicola River has literally carved a new path, uh, washing away large sections of the highway in the process. Uh, about five or six kilometres of roadway is completely gone. Another 20 kilometres uh, has been significantly damaged. Assessments are still underway and there's no timeline for repairs to Highway 8. Rob Fleming says the government is working with local and Indigenous leaders to restore as much temporary access as possible before building back better. The UK, Germany and Italy have now identified cases of the new variant of the novel coronavirus known as Omicron, with the infections believed to be linked to travel to southern Africa. Canada's top doctor says it could only be a matter of time before we see cases here. And as Kristen Robinson reports, with misinformation spreading, there are calls for BC to hold a weekend public health briefing. With confirmed cases of Omicron, the UK implementing swift and sweeping measures to help contain the spread of the new COVID-19 variant that has the potential to be more resistant to vaccine protection. We are concerned. While Health Canada says there are no known cases here, infectious disease experts are still trying to determine how Omicron compares to the now dominant Delta variant. It's a very mutated variant. It may evade the vaccine. It may be more transmissible and we're seeing new cases by the hour. Canada has joined a host of countries, including the U.S. and those in the EU, in imposing travel restrictions on southern African countries. The issue of blocking travel from a given country is to just give us time to assess it better. Not any reason to panic, but we want to give us some time to really fill in the blanks of what we don't know right now. With so many unknowns, Dr. Brian Conway is urging BC's top doctor to share information on the new variant. We trust Dr. Henry. We need to hear from Dr. Henry over the weekend and I really hope that uh, she takes this to heart. BC's health ministry directed us to a public statement Dr. Henry issued Friday, which said so far there's no evidence Omicron is here and that BC is working with Public Health Canada and the CBSA to identify anyone who's returned from areas of concern to arrange testing. Conway's advice, be cautious, get vaccinated, and stick to public health orders. Within a week, he expects we'll know more about the current vaccine's punch against the new variant. And what measures the vaccine manufacturers are taking to design a new vaccine that's more effective against Omicron. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The bomb squad was called to deal with a suspicious package found close to that beach barge near Stanley Park. The VPD's emergency response team conducted a controlled explosion. Witnesses reported seeing a suspicious man on the beach with what appeared to be a bomb. Officers closed off a section of the seawall while they investigated. The device appeared to be a suitcase with wires coming out of the top. A man was arrested and police are now trying to determine what his intentions were. And after the break, a personal and devastating connection to disaster in B.C. And I'm feeling for every single person having to go through this. 
the interim Green leaders' own experience and what it taught them about preparing for climate emergencies. And later, the concerns over contaminants entering B.C. rivers. The new interim leader of the federal Green Party is a Vancouver resident who's passionate about the impact climate change can have on flooding and landslides. As Paul Johnson reports, Amita Kuttner has a very personal and tragic connection to the issue, having lost a parent to a slide in North Vancouver more than 15 years ago. It's a rare thing to have the leader of a federal political party meet you for an interview on a rainy Saturday morning. But there's a lot that's unique about Amita Kuttner. A little bit in disbelief that it actually happened. Check out this resume for a 30-year-old, a PhD in astrophysics, a run for federal office already under their belt, and now hired for the daunting job of running the contest for a new permanent Green Party leader after Anami Paul's inexplicable implosion just before the last election. It feels sobering in the sense that it's a big responsibility. And sitting here with hopefully the trust of a lot of people, I just want to do the best I can. Despite what's amounted to one of the toughest periods so far for the federal Greens, Kuttner believes the party is actually in a better state than it appears, that the dedication and passion of its members is stronger than their divisions. Though Kuttner's a previous candidate for their party's leadership, they insist this job is about getting a leader that's not them. I am not interested in running for the permanent position right now. As interim leader of the party most focused on the environment, Kuttner has obviously thought deeply about BC's recent flooding disaster and its possible connections to human-caused climate change. But they've also got another, more persuasive reason to feel empathy for those affected. In 2005, Kuttner's mother was killed in a landslide in North Vancouver. When I've been seeing all this happen, it is a direct reflection of experiences that I am too familiar with. And I'm feeling for every single person having to go through this. It's also something that I was afraid of. Kuttner has six months to launch the next leadership race, then two years to have a leader in place. Though they expect Greens will have a new leader much sooner than that. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Richmond RCMP are warning of fraudsters selling fake gold. Police have received five reports in just four days in Richmond and in Langley. They say a group approaches victims offering to sell gold so they can raise money. They play on victims' emotions and sometimes bring children with them to reinforce the feeling. The problem is the gold is fake. In one case, the victim was defrauded of $2,500. RCMP say if someone approaches you on the street to sell you gold or jewelry, say no. Still ahead, several weekend solidarity protests. Why hundreds outside RCMP headquarters in Montreal are demonstrating in support of what so would in people opposing a natural gas pipeline. Plus, the new collection in Vancouver's archives featuring communities otherwise excluded from dominant narratives about the city's history. More rallies are happening across Canada this weekend in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en people who oppose the coastal gas link pipeline project in northern BC. The company has signed deals with 20 elected band councils along the pipeline route, but has not won approval of the majority of hereditary chiefs. Dan Spector has more on today's protest in Montreal. 
Wet'suwet'en elder Marlene Hale kicks off a protest in solidarity with her people back home in British Columbia, just steps from the RCMP office near downtown Montreal. How would you like it if you, each of you went home today and the RCMP is saying, no, you can't go in here. The reason hundreds gathered in the biting cold to support the Wet'suwet'en people's fight against a natural gas pipeline project on their ancestral lands. Just over a week ago, the RCMP arrested 15 people, including two journalists, as they moved to enforce a BC Supreme Court-ordered injunction that forced the removal of pipeline opponents from the area. The message from the Montreal demonstrators to the RCMP... Shame on you! Shame on you! The crowd came from several walks of life and age groups. Archie Feinberg said at almost 80 years old, this was the first protest he'd ever attended. Because it's time that the indigenous people in Canada stop being abused and it's the time for the Canadian people, starting with the government, to respect, respect the commitments that they have made. A group of young Marxist Concordia students were present. The labor movement today and the indigenous struggle the enemies that we have are the same, and it's the major corporations. Environmentalists also joined the rally, which was watched closely by a large contingent of Montreal police in riot gear, who kept the demonstrators from getting close to the doors of the RCMP building. I think it's standing up to the RCMP and saying that we saw what they do and we know what we're doing and the gig is up. Members of First Nations surrounding Montreal also came to show support for the Wet'suwet'en people. Came in from Gunasadage uh, to show uh, solidarity uh, or the Wet'suwet'en uh, nation um, with, the, with the trespassing and the terrorism that the RCMP is doing on, uh, on our Indigenous people. After some spirited speeches, the rally turned into a march through downtown Montreal. Police escorted the demonstrators as they loudly shared their message. Dan Spector, Global News, Montreal. B.C. lumber producers are disappointed that the U.S. Department of Commerce has decided to hike duties on Canada's softwood lumber producers. The U.S. government announced this week that its final combined anti-dumping and countervailing duty rate for most Canadian producers will be 17.9%. That's slightly below the 18.32% preliminary rate issued in May, but double the initial 8.99% rate. The BC Lumber Trade Council says final rates are not unexpected but still disconcerting since U.S. producers are unable to meet domestic demand. There are concerns contaminants used in the agricultural industry will make their way into B.C. rivers. With a large number of farmers using pesticides and herbicides on their crops, that concern is heightened. Other hazardous products like feed supplements and diesel also pose a major risk. Experts say data must first be collected and compared to the standards, and then a decision and plan must be made and implemented. And while the province is in charge of the water quality, experts say it will take some time. On any given rain event, just like the roads were closed today, a responsible provincial government agency would have staff on deck and ready to get out and be collecting samples and have a sampling plan ready to go. The City of Vancouver Archives has a new edition featuring more than 500 photographs from diverse communities. The Yu Cho Chow Community Archive donation includes a collection of 75 family photos contributed by the photographer's descendants. Curator Catherine Clement started researching Chow in 2011. Chow arrived in Vancouver from China in 1902, paying the discriminatory head tax imposed on Chinese immigrants at the time. 
He set up a photography studio on West Hastings Street five years later, often photographing recent immigrant families and organizations. Chow welcomed clients from all backgrounds, and his work documents diverse communities that have traditionally been excluded from the dominant narratives of Vancouver's history. In Health Matters Now, a BC MLA says he is now undergoing treatment to battle colon cancer. Richmond Queensborough MLA Amin Singh says he was diagnosed this summer. He's optimistic and is currently undergoing treatment. Singh adds that he's thankful for staff at the BC Cancer Agency. He says while he will need to take some personal time, he will continue to serve his constituents. And coming up next, Festival of Lights. What you can expect as Vancouver's Van Dusen Garden opens back up, back up for the holidays after a COVID shutdown. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The festival, uh, festival rather, of lights returns to Van Dusen Garden. What it means for the community after last year's COVID-19 shutdown. We'll get to that story in a moment. But first, bringing in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the full forecast. Yvonne, uh, a lot of people on storm watch overnight tonight. Yeah, we're going to continue to see the rain. It really intensifies, especially as we get in towards this evening and in towards our Sunday. So that's the heaviest rainfall. Please be prepared. We've got additional amounts right across the board, and we have the potential, especially near the mountains and even in towards the Fraser Valley of upwards of 100 millimeters of rain. Here's the atmospheric river. We can see that it's bringing in the subtropical moisture. So the freezing level is going to rise, which will be a big concern. This is the system that we're tracking for this weekend. And then the next weather maker is going to make a huge impact and potentially even a stronger storm as we get in towards next week. And I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. Our rainfall amounts, so they're anywhere between 70 and up to 120 millimeters, lesser amounts for the southern regions of Metro Vancouver areas near Richmond with up to 50 millimeters. The Fraser Valley, though, 80 and up to potentially 100 millimeters. And areas near Squamish will see upwards of 100 millimeters. And into Howe Sound, we've actually seen some snow that'll change over to rain. Western regions of the island, also between 100 to 140 millimeters. And this will take us in towards the afternoon tomorrow before it really does start to ease off. And we've got windy conditions, so please be prepared. Anywhere we could see gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour as we get in through the morning hours. I did want to show you some of the snowfall totals that we've seen until 4 p.m. This is over um, since 4 a.m. this morning. Terrace inland up to 10 centimeters. Blue River. Whistler has seen up to 7 centimeters. Smithers and Stewart anywhere between 5 and 6. But there is the risk of freezing rain as we get in towards this evening and then transitioning over to rain and then tomorrow back into snow potentially for a few spots across the northern half. The freezing level will be a big concern and the snow melt will contribute to the runoff across the area. So we'll continue to watch that as we've got another surge and the freezing level for Tuesday for the next storm into early next week. Now, the flood potential has extended. This is from the BC River Forecast Centre to the southeastern corners of the province with the High Stream Flow Advisory, Elk Valley, the Duncan River and St. Mary River included within that. The flood watch includes the Tulamine, Silmilkamine, Coldwater and Lower Nicola River as well. Metro Vancouver along the Sunshine Coast and the central and southern regions of the island all underneath the flood watch will see the rising free, uh, river levels and the potentials there to see it exceed bankful. 
Also wanted to outline the snowfall that we're seeing, still 25 to 35 centimeters for the Rogers Kootenai Pass of 20 centimeters. But the big concern for the Rogers and Kootenai Pass changing over to rain with 20 and up to 30 millimeters. Hope to merit as well as the Allison Pass between 40 and up to 60 millimeters. Check in with Drive BC for the latest road conditions, but the snowmelt will contribute to runoff and that'll increase the risk of, fri- uh, of flooding, which will be a big concern. For tomorrow, still wet and windy. We'll see that change over to rain for many areas inland much of the central and southern half of the province for tomorrow. We'll also see the freezing level and windy conditions, but it is going to be mild across that region and a bit of a transition. South coast, rain still very heavy at times into the morning hours on Sunday with windy conditions. We'll get a brief break on Monday with the chance for some showers and then a heads up Tuesday, Wednesday, we could see a stronger system, Nithu, even bringing more rainfall and windy conditions. Back to you. Wow. All right. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. One of Vancouver's favorite holiday traditions has made a return after more than a year in the dark. Last night was the first night for the Festival of Lights at Van Dusen Garden. The popular attraction was closed last year because of the pandemic restrictions. More than one million dazzling lights are spread across the garden located in Vancouver's Shaughnessy neighborhood. Some things you need to know. Tickets are only available online. The festival runs until January 3rd, and they do check for proof of vaccination for anyone older than 12. It's an incredible and important celebration for so many people and their families. And in a time that's been super difficult for so many, where so many things have been uh, taken away, including this festival last year, uh, we just get a chance to sort of put that a little bit behind us and, and enjoy and hang out with our families and come see the, the lights and the, the beautiful atmosphere that the team's built here. Nice to see it making a comeback. And Barry will be making a comeback a few commercial mm-hmm. breaks from now with a preview now of what's ahead in sports. Yeah, not, not a lot of light with the Canucks these mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. living in uh, darkness. Uh, can it get worse? Well, Seattle and one earlier today, so now the Canucks are officially last. In the Pacific, uh, we'll hear from Travis Green talking about another loss. And uh, one of the great hockey names of all time, Eddie Beers, used to play uh, in the NHL back in the 80s, still in the game in a unique way. Jay Janner will have that story and a little controversy in high school football these days. We'll have a story on that as well. Okay, a lot to tease there. Thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, a familiar name is joining Canada's at-home fitness market, but with a less familiar device. How the classes involve a mirror equipped with a camera. Stay with us. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Vancouver-based clothing retailer Lululemon is entering the world of fitness tech. Mirror is billed as an at-home gym experience and is the latest piece of equipment to join the ongoing trend that has boomed through the pandemic. Throughout the pandemic, many Canadians were forced to work out at home. The at-home fitness industry exploded. Just keeping the tension on those glutes. From fitness creators getting millions of subscribers to people falling in love with the Peloton. However, since many restrictions have been lifted, a lot of people have also returned to commercial gyms. But there's a new player in the at-home fitness market here in Canada. It's called Mirror. It's not actually a touchscreen, despite what a lot of people think. It all works via the app. Any of the classes you want to do, any of your filters. 
We actually have instructors on the mirror. They're all Lululemon ambassadors and they're there to engage with you in real time for live classes. And on demand, they also have really great resources as well. They're super engaging. And you also have the opportunity to communicate with your community members as well. If it could be anything from boxing to yoga, meditation, strength, chair classes, pre and postnatal. Different fitness levels can tailor their workouts to their abilities. You can be an absolute beginner, you can be intermediate, advanced, or absolute experts. Obviously, I wasn't gonna pass up an opportunity to try Mira myself, and Selena was more than happy to oblige me. We got our class with Armand, so we got a nice 15-minute expert level. Okay. You think you're ready? I think I'm, are you doing this with me, or are you just gonna supervise? I'll supervise. Supervise, <laughs> sounds good. So you guys are staying in that loaded position. As I drop here, big step, shift. Breaking a sweat yet? Getting there. <laughs> Lift. This is that expert level I was talking about. So when you asked if I do this, I said no, I'm good. I have to remember this is the expert level. This, this is make, the expert level. Makes me feel better about yeah. myself. <laughs> we have closed captioning here, so yeah. if I am uh, get a little bit annoyed with the instructor's energy and peppiness level, I can mute him or crank the music up as well and yeah. just focus on the exercise and kind of suffer in my own pain cave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost so there. We are halfway there. Halfway. <laughs> Mike Arsenault, Global News. All right, he won't be working up a sweat like that, but Barry's back with sports after this break. And later, Ryan Reynolds gets a Governor General's Award with a song tribute that brings him to tears. Stay with us. Tune into Global BC for the Salvation Army's Hope in the City celebration. Don't miss the one-hour event commemorating the 20th annual celebration, featuring amazing stories, special guests, and big announcements. Head out for a bright walk in White Rock. Enjoy a stroll along the seaside and take in the free winter lights display at the White Rock waterfront that will transform Memorial Park this holiday season. The lights will be illuminated after dusk from December 10th through February 15th of next year. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. In partnership with BCAA, from help at home to on the road, that's the power of BCAA, and it's moving British Columbians forward. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast. Barry, what is going on with the Canucks? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> you got 20 minutes? Yeah, no kidding. Thanks, Neithu. Uh, the screws just keep tightening on Travis Green and the Canucks. They played well last night in Columbus, out shooting the Blue Jackets 41-21. But they lost again, their eighth loss in nine games. Tomorrow night, they're in Boston to play the always tough Bruins. The seat has never been hotter for Green, whose job seems to hang in the balance with every loss. I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm just worried about preparing our team to, you know, teaching our team. I thought uh, they really give our team some credit. They, they took what we talked about yesterday in the, the last game and brought it to the game tonight. You're not going to... You're not going to complain when you have the puck as much as we did. Um, so it was, like I said, the, this is one of those nights where a lot of nights you win this game 4-2 to two or, and you're, you're not talking about a loss. Well, first it was the Ottawa Senators by COVID. Now it's the New York Islanders. The NHL has postponed the Islanders' next two games. They now have eight players unavailable due to COVID protocols. The Isles have really struggled on the ice because of it. They are 0-5 in their new rink and an eight-game losing streak overall. NHL tonight, Oilers and Golden Knights from fabulous Las Vegas. Oilers with the two-on-one break. Ryan Nugent Hopkins 
That's just his second goal of the season, but it's a beauty off the post and in. He does have 18 assists for 20 points, one of the top 10 scorers. Oilers up 1-0. Then in the dying seconds of the first, Zach Hyman fights off Mark Stone, then beats Robin Leonard. Great goal by Hyman, who scored three versus Vegas in Las Vegas this year. 2-0 Oilers after one. Second period, Miko Koskinen. He was fantastic tonight. Great save off Evgeny Dadanov. 21 saves at that point. And then moments later, Yesa Pugliarvi on the breakaway. Great move for his seventh. Oilers hang on 3-2, and they won despite McDavid and Dreisaitl being held off the score sheet. If you're a diehard hockey fan, you'll remember the name Eddie Beers. He was a star in the BCHL with the Merritt Centennials, in the NCAA with Denver, and in the NHL he had 210 points in 250 regular season games with the Flames and Blues in the early 80s before a sudden back injury ended his pro career. But as you're about to see, Beers never left the rink. I'm a rink rat. Yeah, that's what I that, that that's what I call it. I kid that the, the pressure of driving the Zamboni, you know, when uh, you're the only show in town, and everyone's watching you. If you or your child has ever skated on the ice at the Port Moody Rec Center in the last two decades, you've appreciated the work of Eddie Beers. For 23 years now, Beers has been behind the wheel of the Zamboni at the Port Moody Rec Center. But with retirement on the horizon, the self-proclaimed rink rat is about to leave the barn, and saying goodbye won't be easy. Oh, the hockey rink has been my life. My, uh, my formative years growing up in Merritt, I spent my teenage years, I was either at school or I was at the rink. I, I played hockey, I refereed hockey, I time kept, um, I helped the rink guys. And uh, yeah, so I was, at the rink, I was at the rink all the time. Back at the line, Jackson fell down, managed to keep it in. For Beers, Eddie Beers truly lived the small town boy NHL dream. He skated in 291 NHL games, scoring 101 goals before his career was abruptly cut short by a back injury. He was never drafted, and even harder to believe, almost packed it in as a hockey player just before it all began. I was very lucky. It almost fell into my lap. I had, you know, I had stopped playing to, I was going to pursue being, a, being an official, an on-ice official, and uh, a different coach came and I started playing junior, and all of a sudden I had tremendous success, and next thing you know, I'm at the University of Denver, and I... Uh, led the nation in scoring and the, the National Hockey League teams are calling and you know first time I stepped on the ice and my very first game in Los Angeles I scored a goal and it's like I lived a, it, I was living a dream and uh, it didn't last that uh, didn't last as long as I would have liked but you know I'm still where I want to be in a in a rink I've got another six months to go and then I'm I'm, I'm pulling the plug on this gig and uh, but uh, it's been a wonderful life. And it really has been a life lived inside the rink. Eddie's friendly face is known by everybody, regardless what ice surface he's tending to. He's had both knees replaced and is also a cancer survivor. Retirement may be just around the corner, but hearing Eddie tell it, he's never had a bad day on the job. I've always said working in a recreation facility in a, in a municipality is, is like working in the maternity ward at the hospital. People who come there, they're happy uh, for the most part. So you have to enjoy their company, um, that's what I've always done. I'm, like I say, I'm going to miss this place terribly, and uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Great States. story. And staying on the ice, Canadian Olympic curling trials from Saskatoon. Men's semifinal, Alberta's Kevin Cooey against Ontario's Brad Jacobs, who won the gold at the Sochi Olympics in 2014. Jacobs blew this game open in the fifth with a four-ender, wins at 8-3, to three, and will take on... 
Gushu in the final. Gushu won gold in the 2006 Olympics in Italy. Women's tiebreaker, Manitoba's Carrie Anderson against Ontario's Krista McCarville. It went to an extra end. McCarville will pull off a fantastic double to win it, so she advances to the semifinal against Jennifer Jones. That game is going on right now. The finals in both men's and women's go tomorrow. World Cup bobsled from Innsbruck, Austria. Summerland's Justin Cripps and his partner Cam Stones on a track they haven't had a lot of success, but Stones had two great pushes on the starts today, and that was the difference for the Canadians hitting the podium. Third after the first run, and in the second run, they were great again. So it's a bronze for Cripps and Stones. German sleds won gold and silver. Premier League today, Liverpool hosting Southampton, and it was predictably one-way traffic. Two minutes in, Diego Jota slotting it in, the first of two for Jota. And then later in the first half, Thiago Alcantara making it 3-0 before the half is out. 4-0 the final as the Reds jump to second for the time being. There is playoff high school football at BC Place tonight. Notre Dame and Terry Fox meet at 7 o'clock. But there are other eligible schools who aren't at the Dome tonight that's made for a rather tense time in BC high school football. This is the time of year every high school football player looks forward to. The run to the provincials where the top teams go head-to-head at our province's premium facility. BC Place. It's a real experience for the kids to walk in there and know that uh, you're playing where professionals have played and, and you've got a great indoor facility, weather, weather problem free. But this year's playoffs are anything but problem free. After the devastating floods, BC School Sport Football Committee had to call an audible. With roads closed and interior teams unable to make the trip to Vancouver, the provincials were wiped out replaced by regional championship games. That meant coastal teams could still play at BC Place, but teams from the interior would have to play amongst themselves and miss out on that much-coveted BC Place experience. We are having more regional kind of championships that we can honour the kids and let them play. The point was to let them play and find them games. But interior schools like Vernon Secondary, who have one of the best football programs in the province, felt that decision was made quickly and most importantly, without their input. I think we weren't involved and that creates perception that we don't matter. Smith, whose team won the 2019 AA championship, feels there are options that weren't given a fair look. You know, we, we might have been able to fly down, right? We might have been able to reschedule the games here in a different way. We might have been able to provide different opponents so that we were uh, in a better situation to make this thing more meaningful for our guys, and, and we weren't given that opportunity. And those kids who do get to play at BC Place feel for those players who won't get that chance. To realize that you should have gone there and that you had the chance to go there, um, and just have it stripped away from you definitely stings. It's never an easy situation to make all parties happy. BC schools felt getting kids games, no matter where they were played, was the most important thing. You learn, you try and involve as many people as you can to make the right decisions, and we just we felt we made the right decisions here, and that was best for everyone. Even up to today, I'm, I'm still trying to provide solutions, but we're not being listened to. 
Well, you can certainly feel the tension there. Sean Smith says ultimately he would love to get his team to BC Place to play a title game next Saturday, which would mean flying to Vancouver. But BC School Sports say the schedule is set and they don't foresee any changes by next Saturday. So stay tuned. Always interesting when it comes to high school sports. Sometimes they can't get along. Back to you. <laughs> you got to keep a close eye on that mm -hmm. for sure. Thanks very much, Barry. All right, we'll be right back with Ryan Reynolds' emotional reaction to a tribute song along with his Governor General Award. Stay with us. BC-born actor Ryan Reynolds has been handed the 2021 Governor General's Performing Arts Award. A song tribute was sent to Reynolds by musician Stephen Page, which Reynolds watched wearing his medal. Reynolds, along with six others, were given the prestigious award, including well-known actor Catherine O'Hara, who starred in Home Alone and Schitt's Creek. Reynolds says the award and the video brought him to tears. Oh. Wow. Wow. That's, um, that was stunning. I mean, <laughs> that made me cry. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess I've made it. Aww. On Friday, Reynolds donated to Canada Red Cross to support anyone affected in BC's recent devastating floods. He also tweeted he's glad that he can be alive and get that kind of tribute. Uh, he's certainly very touched by that, and many of those who will benefit from his donations are on Stormwatch tonight, Yvonne, so a final look at the forecast. Yeah, we're very lucky to have Ryan Reynolds, but we'll be tracking the storm, especially as we get in towards this evening and for our Sunday morning. A heads up, some of the heaviest rainfall, higher amounts of upwards of 100 millimeters, especially near the mountains, and extending in towards the Fraser Valley with very windy conditions. Easing off for tomorrow afternoon, and then another storm that we'll be keeping a close eye, probably for Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay, keep a close Close eye on that forecast, everybody. Things change quickly. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there. Krista Dow will be in at 11.